Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. After the holidays, a little cash goes a long way. The Chime checking account has tons of benefits to help, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of fee-free ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members of FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's From Phenom to the Farm, an interview series talking to former professional baseball players on their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today's episode is a bit of a compilation of the 40-plus episodes of this show that we've done. As you're well aware as a baseball fan, we're in the beginning of what is just a straight-up bonkers offseason, so today we're going to relay the experiences of some of the guys that we've talked to over the course of this show about what it's like to go through the offseason from the ballplayer perspective, and we, we've got a pretty good variety. As I'd say, the interviews in the show in general, we've got a great variety of different experiences, different journeys. Today we're going to have clips from guys going through both big league and minor league free agency, guys who have spent offseason playing more baseball both in the States and abroad, and guys just kind of stuck in that roster shuffle trying to find their next job. If you enjoy these clips, these interviews are all live in our feed. Like I said, we're you know we're 40 deep. Go back, give any you missed a listen. They're all pretty evergreen. Again, guys from different eras, different draft statuses, uh, different you know levels of big league time. Great, great set of interviews we got. Go check those out. Make sure you're subscribed so you get episodes when they drop. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure you subscribe to the BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. As I noted earlier, wild offseason, BA is breaking down the signings, the trades, rolling out those prospect top tens, as well as the new BA mailbag for subscribers, which is a cool thing. Okay, leading off, we're going to have a clip from former Royals and Braves outfielder Lane Adams, who we had on this podcast about a year ago. You can now find on Instagram at OKSwings. He's got cool hitting drills on there. Uh, I like this clip because this is an example of what free agency looks like for a guy with a little bit of big league time and the weight of that decision on, on where to take his talents. After, after, the, uh, after the season with the Cubs and the Yankees, where you, you finally got to free agency. No, because I knew... Like I knew now I'm going to be able to kind of pick. This is exciting for me because I get to kind of, you know, establish where I want to be. Whereas the past, it's like the Yankees pick me up. Well, the Yankees are the New York Yankees, and usually their New York Yankees outfield is typically crowded with really talented players. And same with uh, the Cubs, really talented players at the time uh, still. Yeah, what a run for you. The, right? the World Series Royals, the Yankees, who are the, the richest team in baseball, and then the Cubs, who I think won the World Series that year. Incredible, incredible run of good teams. Yeah, so at this point, for agency, I'm excited because I get to finally, granted, if I'm lucky enough and have enough teams interested, I get to dictate kind of where I get to, where I want to go or who I get, I get to, I, at the end of the day, I get to decide. So 
I, I was all about that. I was excited about it. And that was, uh, I was at least going to, I was definitely going to uh, go through free agency before I even sniffed about thinking about going back to basketball. So what made the Braves the pick then? Because in retrospect, they ended up being, I would think, you know, you'd say the right pick. What made them the pick? Man, that's a hell of a question because I didn't want to sign with them. My agent didn't want to sign with them. And my agent's assistant is who talked us into signing with them. So what was what was the assistant's pitch? That better off, I get the big leagues faster. Which he was right. I got there quick. Um, yeah, I was, I negotiated a deal. The Braves, there was, there was like seven teams I was talking to, but it came down to the Braves and Giants. Well, Braves were, weren't meeting me what I want salary-wise, and the Giants were on the minor league salary-wise, anyways. And that, and I was like dead set. I called my agent, said, "Hey, this is this. This is what the Braves are offering. This is what the Giants are offering." I talked to the agent, like, "Well, no, this is a little significantly higher than what they're offering." No, that's, and he's like, "Yeah." And he agreed to it too. And we're, he said he would send me over the email in the morning or the, he'd get the contract drawn up and send it over to me, have me sign it the next day. And I wake up the next day, I had a text message, Hey, we need to get one more. We have one more group chat. Eric, or assistant Eric wants to like run some things by you. And he, he rattles off how the Braves lack depth, the outfield position, all this stuff, how he, how the cop, how the GM is personally calling him trying to sign me and that that usually never happens on a minor league deal ever especially guys with my with not as tenured as me like i don't have as much tenure for gm to be calling about minor league contracts um that's kind of the you know that's kind of a pretty good indicator that they really value you so so he we're about on the phone for 30 minutes and he convinced me and my agent to, <laughs> to let go of the giants offer and sign with the braves and take less money and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I, I, I honestly, I don't, don't know why I did it. It was just, but luckily I did because it ended up being my best year of my career. It's kind of weird how it all worked out because I was not wanting to sign there and neither was my, my agent. Okay. We're going to follow that up with a clip here from Billy Butler, uh, former, you know, Royals all-star. And with, with this, with, Billy's offseason that he talks about, Billy was with the Royals. Uh, he was drafted by the Royals at 18, up in the bigs at 20, basically a longtime Royal. And when he hit free agency, he realized that he wasn't going to be a Royal anymore. So this is kind of his experience coming to grips with that decision, um, moving on, signing with the A's. Well, you guys you guys dropped the World Series to the Giants. Royals obviously get back the next year, but, but you're not with them. When you go through free agency for the first time, after 10 years in the same organization, you've been a Royal since since you were a teenager. What's the, and you kind of touched on it a little earlier, but what's the, the sense of loss there when you move on at that point, do you have to say it's just business or was there, was it tough emotionally? Um, it was really tough. I mean, um, it's one of those things where I, I thought, I never thought I wouldn't be a Royal. So I thought whenever, so the A's offered me the contract that they did and I told Dayton that I would, I would, you know, I would not sign with another team until like, until they, uh, and if you guys wanted to match it, I would always, you know, keep, uh, I would obviously sign with you guys. So I told them what the A's were offering me and they, they, they weren't, 
close on it and everything like that. And, and they, I mean, they gave me, it's like, well, I had no choice. I mean, so it wasn't one of those, it, it definitely, it, it definitely hurt not to be with the Royals and then not to be on that world series team. I mean, you know, I, I played so much into them getting to that point, you know, it's so, I mean, I definitely felt like I was a part of it, but even though I wasn't and I don't have the ring at the house, I, I mean, it, it definitely, it definitely hurts, but you know, it's baseball and things happen. I mean, you, baseball is not a, it, it's not a game for the week. I'll tell you that right now. It's, it, it's a game for the only the mentally strong and you can't let things affect you ever. You, I mean, I still love the game. I still love the Royals. I still love everything, but I'm, and I, and I'm, I was so happy for the city that they won that. They waited a long time for that. Next up is the first of two clips from longtime big league right-hander Chad Derby. It was one of the early episodes of this podcast. These clips come at very different points of Chad's career. This first clip is early in his career. He's just got his first real taste of the big leagues in Kansas City. Uh, first couple years, and he's he's rehabbing Tommy John, and it's kind of a um, a lesson learned situation. Something that uh, you know, learning the baseball for the first time, you know, really that that sense of baseball is a business. But that that off season was all you know, two a days basically. I went in to the, the the hand surgeon or the hand rehabilitation place, and that's what you know you do your whole protocol. And I remember the fear of you know, and nobody understanding it other than like Kurt Ainsworth, who had had Tommy John surgery that I talked about that you know, grew all those inches and was a first rounder. So you gravitated to those guys like, hey, man, how was it? You're like, man, it sucks, but you, it'll, it's going to happen. You just got to put in the work. And I was a hard worker. So I busted my butt in the protocol. Um, by the time that three months had gone by, I felt like I was in a pretty good position to make it back in, in the protocol's um, time range. And in December, I had gone up to Indiana where my mom lived, Warsaw, Indiana. And I was, uh, it was a couple days before Christmas. Um, and Allard Baird called me. He was the GM with the Royals. And he said, Chad, uh, you, know, you probably already know this. You're a smart kid, but we're going to go ahead and non-tender you. And to be dead honest, Kyle, I'd been around for a little while, had no idea what the hell a non-tender was. So you didn't see any scenario. You you just assumed even when he you got your surgery, you, I'm going to be in spring training with the Royals next year and and be working this out. Yeah, rehab I'll do my rehab, rehab with all these people that I know and love. Um, there's no you know no rubber hits the road um, and you got to go. I just assumed that that's the way that it, life hadn't hit me with that one yet. Um, and it, and it's the first time. I didn't quite understand it was a business until a couple days later because the same guy Muzzy Jackson was supposed to call me. Um, right after I got off the phone with Allard Baird, Allard said, um, Muzzy's going to call you. We're going to talk to you about what a, a minor league deal would look like. And obviously, I feel like this is the best place for you to come do your rehab because you know everybody and, and we know what you're all about. I didn't get that phone call. I remember going to uh, the Health South um, you know, place in Warsaw, Indiana to go do my PT work. And I, I, it must have been the 22nd or 23rd because I went on Christmas Eve and did my PT work and, and they opened it up on Christmas for me too. So I went right. I mean, like I said, I worked hard. Um, I got a call on the 26th of, uh, of December and Mark Shapiro, you know, and my, my agent, Danny Horowitz, who was, uh, who was a great agent for me. Um, yeah, I left him towards the end, but a fantastic guy. He said, Hey, um, I hadn't, I hadn't heard from Kansas City, but uh, Mark Shapiro, the Indians, they, they want to talk to you. And so Mark called. He's like, hey, uh, was there anything like that that happened? Or, or would, you con would you consider coming with the Indians? We've had you 
earmarked for a while. We would really like to have you with with the club. We're in a rebuild, and we we feel like we have a really good chance in a couple of years of being good. And um, you know, t- to be honest with you, you know, I, I was just kind of shaking my head, like I can't believe Muzzy hasn't called. I didn't know this was an option. Um, let me talk to Danny. Let me let me talk to a couple other guys about about this. But yeah, I mean, I think the Indians organizations. Great. And, and while we were talking, he said, did you know that Tim Maxey, strength conditioning guy, and Lee Koontz, the assistant trainer for the Royals, they're both coming over here and Lee will be in charge of rehabilitation. And Tim Maxey is going to be our minor league um, and big league um, kind of uh, swing guy on the strength conditioning side, which that meant two of my favorite guys in exactly what I needed were going there. I mean, that couldn't have been any lower hanging fruit. But he said, I just need to know before, this is Mark Shapiro, I need to know before, if you want to go back with the Royals, I'll make the phone call for you. Like, that's how true to character Mark Shapiro is. And that moment, like, I remember thinking it, like, this guy actually gives a crap. Even There's no way you're balking on that one. You're, you're actually saying what you, what you would want said. And I said, you know what, I'd love to be a Cleveland Indian. I know it's a, you know, a fuzzy comeback from this. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm flying through my protocol. And he said, I have no doubt you are. I know how hard you work. You know, Tim Maxey told me. So I ended up signing with uh, the Indians a couple days later, going to spring training with them. And it was CC Sabathian, Cliff Lee, and Mark Guthrie, I mean, not Mark Guthrie, uh, Jeremy Guthrie. Um, you know, we, uh, Jack Cresson, who's one of my best friends now, he was with the twins and had a shoulder surgery around the same time. So we did our, our rehab protocol together. Uh, but I went there and it was very familiar. It was really hard work, but man, did it prepare me for, you know, the next couple of years of baseball. This next clip from Chad is later in his career. Uh, by now, he's established himself as a, a solid big league bullpen piece. He's been a part of a Phillies World Series team. He's coming off a, a, a loss to the eventual champion Giants. And this is kind of another lesson in baseball being a business and, and unfortunately kind of the, the pitfalls of pre-agency when it cannot go your way. Um, so here's, here's Chad talking free agency in a, a later portion of his career. And then the off season after that one, um, my, uh, you know, the, the agent I talked about, he was, he was convinced that we were going to get a two year, maybe even a two year plus an option deal. And the Phillies offered, because they wanted me to come back, they offered me a year plus an option and, and the, the, the pre-existing uh, you know, situation. It just kind of it made sense. I remember sitting in the room thinking, that's great. We'll be a Philly again probably for two more years. Because at that point, you'd, you'd spent three years in the Phillies, really your first taste of stability since probably your early 20s with the Royals. Yeah, um, absolutely. As a, as a mature man, as you know, a, a husband as a, as a father, it was the perfect, it was the perfect scenario. And you, you just, you get to that point, I think at 31, 32 in baseball, you start to think, you know, I mean, I, I've been year to year, basically every year of my career to have an ex, you know, some kind of an extension, two years, two years would have felt like 10. So for my agent to be that confident that it would happen, a hundred percent. Yeah. Like if that's what you feel, I don't care where we go. It's my family needs it more than anything. And no one, you know, you, you kind of reset things. Had I been there in, in Philly, you're a guy that's there four or five, six years. That's a huge market. You can, you can always, you know, make a phone call and get a job up there. Um, and I can now I've maintained good relationships, but the, my thought was it ended up being a, 
I've been businessed so many times in baseball that I've businessed myself um, and, and ended up, you know, we were, we happened to be on vacation in Disney as a family, had no idea that the winter game, winter meetings were there. So I ended up getting to talk to um, the Cubs. I ended up, I, I got to talk to a bunch of GMs and they're like, you know, we really do. If the market continues to move the way it is, we can see a, a two year, five and a half million dollar deal for you. We just need to get past these milestones. And so after hearing guys talk like that, I just wanted the Phillies to match it or even give me just a guarantee two for four. And they just, you know, Ruben's like, man, I love you. I don't think that that's what the market's calling for right now. And he was right. So it just went dry. And I ended up sitting at home all the way into spring. Um, March 1, March 2, I finally signed with uh, the Indians. Again, Mark Shapiro and Chris Antonetti and all those guys that were there. Um, They're like, yeah, we'll actually give you a big league deal and guarantee you money. It's just not going to be anywhere near what you deserve. And I went there. I was late. Uh, You know, the the team was actually pretty darn good and coming. Um, And I didn't really, again, I almost fell into that. I'm not getting my opportunity again. Woe is me. And caught myself pretty early on. I I really helped a lot of guys out as a mentor. Um, But that season kind of, if it's like this, if this is how baseball is going to be, I don't know how much more I want to do. I don't, I, I, not one time did I ever drive to the park that year and not want to be there, but it wasn't as exciting. I wasn't like jumping out of my car and, and, and excited to be in the clubhouse. Not like I was and, uh, ended up having a so-so year. I asked to be traded halfway through the year quietly. And Chris Antonetti, um, you know, we talked one-on-one and he was the GM at the time. And he just said, Chad, you're too important to the rest of this team to, to let go. Just keep, keep coming to work. Your opportunities are going to come. You could be a guy like this that plays for, and, and they were right. I didn't have the stuff to be a seventh or eighth inning guy uh, for years to come the way the arms were coming in, but you still want to compete and you don't want to be a long guy or a mentor when you're 31, 32, 33 years old. You want to, you want to be a guy. So we're going to follow that with a clip from former twins and angels, right-hander AJ Ochter about a, a different type or a different part of the offseason in that uh, you know it involves playing more baseball uh, following the minor league season get a little break and then AJ headed out to the Arizona Fall League kind of talks about that experience what that means to your career in doing that in your offseason uh, another all-star like experience you had is the AFL which I always think of the AFL it's like a kind of like a shootout in the okay corral kind of just it's <laughs> prospects future big leaguers all coming in as guns for hire for a month what's the the afl experience like awesome absolutely an amazing experience um you know even just watching this past world series you know Corey seager and pedro baez were two of my teammates um in in the you know in the fall league and you know i tell my players you know they were talking about Corey Seager one day, and I was like, dude, I played with that kid when he was 19, 20 years old, and I could have told you he was going to, you know, just stuff like that. And they're like, you played with him? They think I'm old now, even though I've only been out a couple of years. But, um, you know, just a great experience. You know, I played with Chris Bassett, who just got some ALSI Young Bows this week, but him and I grew up five minutes apart and had never met. Um, and, you know, we go out to, you know, Glendale, Arizona, and are on the same team. So just a really cool experience. Obviously, I um, you know, the guys I was with with the Twins were just absolutely uber-talented. You know, I had Byron Buxton, uh, Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, Trevor May. 
uh, Alex Meyer, Zach Jones. So just an absolutely loaded group. And I'm sitting here as, as the older guy, and I'm like, I'm not a prospect. What the heck am I doing here? You know, with, with that group of guys at the time. So um, just a really, really cool experience. Obviously, kind of like you said, prospects all over the place. Um, you know, autograph seekers all over the place. Kind of that first experience, kind of like you said, of, of kind of a big league moment slash all-star moment. Corey Seager and Max Kepler in the same. That might have been the most handsome baseball team that's ever. <laughs> and they were both 19, 20 years old hitting bombs in, in Glendale. And now they're doing the same thing in the big same leagues. Thing. But yep. Was it after the AFL or even before that? When did you feel like you were in the Twins big league plans? That you weren't just a 46th round pick anymore? Yeah, you know, I really thought when I got the invite to the, well, when I got called to the AAA and had a really good first year there, and then I got the fall league invite, I really thought, okay, you know, the twins were struggling a little bit. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of close. And then I didn't get put on the roster that, that was my protection year. I didn't get put on the 40 man that, that, uh, that winter, which was really disheartening. I thought I had a chance. I didn't get a big league invite. Um, and then even going into the 2014, 2014 spring training I got sent back to double a after throwing almost 30 innings in triple a so um talk about kind of getting you know knocked on your tail a little bit I was I thought I was knocking on the store of the door of the big leagues and I'm in double a again after you know a league I was just an all-star in the year before so so the other way guys uh, get more baseball in in the off season, and for a lot of guys, you know, supplement their their income, especially guys on minor league salaries, is going to play in the the Puerto Rican League, the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, and the Mexican Winter League. Uh, next clip is from Barry Enright, who talks about his experiences in Venezuela, Mexico, and why he kept going back to those leagues. Uh, definitely, definitely more than just the uh, the financial and the the you know the kind of cushy living situation for Barry. After that tough 2013, though, you start making winter ball in Latin America, winter ball in Mexico, a regular part of your career. And eventually you're also playing in the the Mexican Summer League as well. What was the what did playing in the Mexican League do for you in terms of just your mentality and your enjoyment of baseball over the the course of those few years? Uh, To put it simply, it, it brought it all back. It brought all the love back for baseball. Um, took the business part out of it. Obviously, they treat you like a big leaguer over there, but that was uh, hardly the point. It was. It felt like a family again. They cared about winning. Going back to that college aspect of winning every single game and the importance being in it. I didn't know how crazy winter ball like executives and all these people actually were about like, hey, you don't do well, you're in, you're out, and all these things. I just enjoyed the setting so much and diving into the culture and the people that because of that atmosphere and that culture that I truly believe is, is really, really important in winning teams and winning clubhouses. Um, that's what made it fun for me. I mean, we were first place all year long. We had great players. We went to game seven. Um, you know, we, we won game seven on our turf. Like I had said that, you know, they storm the field. They, uh, lift you up like Rudy, you party all night. I remember think partying with like our teammates and parade down the, down the street till about 9 a.m. I had a 10:30 flight, walked on to the on the flight and back home in Phoenix, you know, by 11:30, and hadn't slept a wink. And it was it was such a cool thing to enjoy with people that really enjoyed it as well. Um, from time from learning like obviously more in depth Spanish and trying to do interviews in Spanish, and guys really really enjoying that from the team and and kind of just treating you like another brother. Uh, really really help me enjoy, um, you know, baseball down in Mexico and brought me back year after year after year. 
Our next two clips are going to be from former Rays first round pick out of Clemson, Richie Schaefer. Two of the more interesting, to say the least, off seasons in the in the set of clips that we're we're doing today. Um, th- this off season from Richie, I had it in my my notes when we did the interview as simply uh, the off season from hell. Uh, this is it's kind of a look. Richie was he was out of options in this offseason. He was kind of coming off his his stint with the Rays, um, and this is what happens when a guy gets stuck in in kind of DFA limbo, gets cleared out on waivers a lot. Kind of a worst case scenario for a guy um, who's just trying to figure out where he's going to play that spring. So you have those two years with the Rays, with a little bit of big league time, Triple A time, and then it gets into the 2016 2017 offseason. And I think I want to take this transaction by transaction with, with <laughs> what your mentality was like, because it's just you, you endured quite the off season on November 18th of 2016, you're traded to, uh, to the Mariners for with, along with, uh, Taylor Motter for Dalton Kelly and Andrew Kittridge and Dylan Thompson after being traded. What, what is the, what is the mindset? Were you optimistic about your new start with the Mariners? Yes and no. I mean, I was pretty devastated when the Rays traded me. Um, I felt like they had given up on me. I felt like um, this is, you know, especially coming from my background, so I was so team oriented or whatever. Like to me, like the Rays felt like part of me. Like, they drafted me. Like I felt like I was a Ray, right? So I, I really felt. Um, I really felt. I was pretty. I was pretty hurt when I got traded, and then. I, I was young still ish at the time and I, I still didn't fully grasp like what it meant to be like, you know, the major leagues is a business and that it's not, you know, it's not, it's, it is a business it's just straight up. There's no other way of putting it. And, but then again, I'm like, Hey, this other team traded for me. So they went out of their way to trade other players so they could have you. So I was very optimistic about that. I'm like, Hey, you know what? This team called me. I remember, I remember this team traded for me. I remember like it was yesterday, Jerry DePoto calling me and just, Basically convincing me that I was like going to be the next great, you know, Seattle Mariner with Ken Griffey and Edgar Martinez. <laughs> and, you know, like, so just talk, singing my praises for, you know, 10 minutes straight. So I was extremely optimistic. And then obviously that you know, didn't work out. But And then less than a month later, on December 14th, you are claimed by the on waivers by the Phillies. What is the what's going through your mind at that point right before Christmas? Yeah, I mean, that was um, that was really hard because that to me, you know, as 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 arrogant as it sounded or whatever, like I never viewed myself as a player that was like DFA a bull, right? Like I never viewed myself as a player who a team would just like give away. I always thought like I was I was, you know sort of above that, if I'm being honest, right? But that was sort of thing. So when that happened, that really altered my whole landscape on like who I was as a player. I was like, wait a minute, these guys are just willing to like get rid of me. I'm so confused. They just traded for me. They're talking about how incredibly excited they are to have me and they see all these incredible things for my future. And then, you know, there's some fifth guy down the totem pole in the front office for the Mariners calls me. I've never met him before. I was like, wait, where's Jerry? Where, where'd Jerry go? Jerry's not talking yet anymore. So it's um, it's a very, very, very interesting concept getting DFA'd like that, um, especially when you consider, you know, the previous year, like we talked about, I was in the futures game and, and everything seemed so promising. Getting DFA'd that quickly just seemed like... Um, didn't, it didn't even seem in the realm of possibility. So it really took me by surprise. And then uh, when the Phillies called, I was like, okay, like that's cool. And I'm going to be a Philly 
that's the end of this madness for sure. But obviously, like we're going to get into that again was not the issue. Nine days later, on December 23rd, literally right before Christmas, you were claimed on waivers by the Reds from the Phillies. Yeah, that sucked. Uh, I, at this point, I have no idea like what's going on. I'm completely... I, I have no sense of... I thought I had a pretty solid understanding of, of my career and how it was going to go and all this kind of stuff, but at this point, I'm completely lost. Um, the same thing happened again. Phillies GM calls when he claims me, talks all this good stuff, some, you know... The guy who uh, maybe like a clubby for double A calls me and tells me I got DFA. So it was like this. The GM calls you with good news. Some other random guy you've never met before calls you with bad news. Um, and there's really no arguing or no negotiating with it. It's just, okay, you're off the team and now you're going to be with them. And I, I didn't know what to think anymore. I didn't know if people wanted me or didn't want me because I was getting DFA, but I was kind of getting picked up. So I didn't know what to think. And then finally, a month later, on January 26, you are claimed on waivers by the Indians from the Reds. I would imagine at that point, you've already started making spring training preparations. What what goes through that? Had you already planned on heading down to Reds camp? Yeah. The only positive thing I can say about my short stint on the roster with the Reds is that I uh, was making arrangements, like you said, for spring training, and I call the Reds clubby, and I had ordered like 18 bats for big league camp. And so when the Reds DFA'd me and the Indians picked me up, I called the Indians clubby and I told him that I hadn't ordered bats yet. So I ordered another 18 bats from the Indians. And so both bats ended up showing both sets of bats ended up showing up to the uh, Indians uh, spring training facility. So that was literally the only good thing that came of that. At this point, I was so like, I was at as low as I could get in terms of, well, actually not, <laughs> not really, but, um, I was I was really low. I was pretty I was like I don't know what to think anymore. But all of this uh, at this point, I was started to trend in the other direction instead of being like you know upset and, and not knowing what's going on. At this point, I was kind of getting pissed. And I'm like I'm about to show everyone like that they're making a huge mistake. And I was sort of getting like this chip on my shoulder mentality, which I'd never really had before because I'd never really gone through any type of adversity like that. So I was starting to develop this like chip on my shoulder mentality um, at the back end of all this. Um, and then obviously when Cleveland outrights me right before camp, uh, that was like the final straw. This next clip we're going to get into, Richie takes us into a, a story that we've heard about a lot, especially in the past decade of guys taking an off season, working with someone, revamping their swing, making some big changes for Richie. He's trying to, he had, you know, he hadn't been to the big leagues in a while, had been stuck in triple a, hadn't been getting the call, was trying to figure out what the change was going to be to set him on a new path in his career and kind of reclaim that that past first round status, get back to the big leagues. This is this is the story of when that, you know, we hear about the success stories. This is this is when that doesn't really work out. A really interesting measured look by Richie. I, I would highly recommend going back and checking out this interview. It's really one of my favorites. Um he very candid, very honest, uh just generally pretty funny guy. Uh here's Richie on our second off season. Where's your where's your mentality and what's your work look like in the off season as far as getting yourself back to the big leagues? Um, yeah, so that was pretty. Uh, that was a, another kind of tough blow for me because I felt like I had done everything in my power. I had thirty home runs. I drove in ninety, like I eight hundred plus OPS. I did all the things I felt like would have earned me a big league promotion. I didn't get it. So now I'm like back to the drawing board. I'm like, okay, like what is it that these teams just aren't seeing in me? Um, that is keeping them from wanting to pull the trigger on me, you know, being an everyday major league or even getting the opportunity to even do so. 
And the one thing I can just think of is like, maybe you just, the numbers just aren't good enough. I mean, I, I guess that was the only thing I could go to was like, Hey, like, yeah, you hit 30. Yeah. You drove a nine, but you struck out too much or your average wasn't high enough or whatever. So I was sort of desperate at this point to try to find anything to, to kind of elevate my game. And I sought out, um, this hitting guru, um, one of these like, uh, online hitting guru guys, you know, the type of guys that, you know, make these claims for, you know, the JD Martinez transformation, the Justin Turner transformation and the Josh Donaldson transformation. You hear all these guys that, um, you know, went to these, these, um, hitting gurus, um, and have this awesome success. And so this was, this year was when Aaron Judge sort of had his incredible blow up and became this superstar, right? And so me and Judge just sort of came up the minor league system together and, and Judge is a great dude. He's incredible. He's just this freaky athletic dude. But I'd always felt like I was a little bit ahead of him mechanically, baseball-wise, like hitting, like just pure hitter-wise throughout the minor league. So I'm like, hey, if if this guy that Judge went to did this to Judge, he can surely do it to me too because I feel like we're very comparable in terms of our ability. And so I reach out to this guy and I fly it and go hit with him or whatever. And he's got a very um, uh, non-traditional way, I guess is a way of putting it, way of thinking about hitting and doing stuff like that. And I'm like, hey, this is weird, whatever. But you know what? Like this worked for Judge. He's a superstar now. Like this will work for me too. And uh, for whatever reason, it just – it imploded on me and it did not work at all. And it completely just destroyed my swing and I was the worst I have ever been. I mean, I was not, I was not a competitive baseball player in 2018, I guess in the beginning, like my swing was so bad. And I want to like clarify that it's, I don't blame this hitting guru guy, right? I mean, I sought him out and obviously whatever he teaches worked for him. You know, it just wasn't something that translated in my brain to my swing for whatever reason. Um, and but it just destroyed my swing and I played awful and I couldn't figure out how to fix it because I had spent so much time, you know, revamping my swing to this. So I had nothing to fall back on. And I got released by May and I mean, I was hitting a buck 80 maybe. It was really bad. And uh, I couldn't find a job for, you know, two months and some change. I finally get picked up by Milwaukee just as like a flyer. And they sent me to double A to like fill in for a guy who got hurt. And I haven't been a double A in years at this point. I've been in the big leagues. It was just like, I don't know. And then uh, I got called back up to triple A and just spent most of the time on the bench hanging out. And then at that, after that off season, I was a free agent and didn't get a single offer for the rest, like basically ever again. And you know, now I'm out of baseball. So it all happened, like the, all the ups, all the downs were all these like really hard spikes in both directions. And it was kind of a bizarre um, way of doing it. So it was um it was definitely a roller coaster for sure but i'm in a good place about it now next up is a clip from cody decker the great cody decker the real life crash davis uh major leaguer with the with the padres and then longtime minor leaguer great great presence in every minor league city he played in this is another look at in minor league free agency kind of the same thing that lane johnson was going through kind of earlier in this episode trying to figure out what's going to be the best situation for for Cody he's got he's got eight days of big league time or a couple weeks of big league time at this point and so he's he's going through um, his options and uh, unfortunately kind of finds out that um, what a team will do to to sell you on their spot might not always be the case here's Cody Decker each 
time you kind of find yourself out there in free agency, what are you looking for in a team or in a city or in an opportunity? I was looking for a team that I, I, I the goal, I had, I had an option basically of three teams. I, I had more options, but the three teams that made the most prominent offers, the Padres were still in the mix, but they hadn't made an offer yet. And I think, I honestly thought, you know, I think AJ Preller wasn't very interested in bringing me back, and that's perfectly fine. I, I I wanted to go back, but I also thought it was time for me to kind of move on to the next thing. Um, and the Royals were the first team that called me. Um, the second team, the Cubs and the Dodgers. I grew up a Dodger fan. Uh, hearing hearing the talking to the Dodgers was, I mean, this is where I honestly wanted to go. But the team I really really wanted to play for my whole life was the Chicago Cubs. I always thought the Cubs were the coolest team in baseball. I don't know what it was that made me want to be a Cub. And But everything I, I spoke to the Royals about, they had a clear-cut vision of what they wanted me to be and what they wanted me to do. And all I kept asking the Cubs is, what's my role? And they said, well, you'll get here, we'll, we'll see, and we'll do this. I'm like, yeah, but the Royals seem to have my role ready to go. What, like, what is my role with you? And he's like, trust me, this is the place you want to be. And you know what? Looking back, I probably should have signed with the Cubs. I just, after a long deliberation, I ended up signing with the Royals. And and it wouldn't say it's the wrong decision. I loved, loved being there. The only thing that was unfortunate was I had a great spring training. I was kind of notified that I made the team. And then they changed their mind. <laughs> I flew with the team to Kansas City. I uh, I remember they I I got that was the last day of spring training. We had a big league game against the uh, against the Diamondbacks. Everyone knew where they were going. The last person they hadn't spoken to was me. And I stayed in the clubhouse after the game for an hour and a half. I finally got called in the office, and they said, "We're sorry, this one hurts. We thought you were making the team, but we're not going to make a move on the forty man. So you're going to go to Omaha. You're going to do your thing there. You'll be back up before you know it." I appreciated that. Went to Omaha and started great, except there was a lot of, they they weren't playing me every day, which I was confused about. I said, what's the deal? They said, well, we have this prospect here. He's got to play. I said, I, I, I made the big league team. And then you guys ended up changing your mind. How am I not playing every day? And they said, yeah, we know. Don't worry. It'll work itself out. And they came to the point where it wasn't working itself out. And they called me in the office and they said, listen, we may have oversold what we could do for you. So we're going to try and trade you. And they traded me to Colorado, went over to the Albuquerque, uh, had a good start, then kind of started to struggle a little bit, had about 45 at-bats there, um, started to kind of come out of it. And then uh, Daniel Descalso got healthy. They called me in the office. My manager told me, listen, Here's the unfortunate thing: we kind of rented you. We we rented you because we weren't sh- we had nothing but high end prospects here at AAA. We didn't want to start any of their clocks. So if somebody else got hurt, we were going to call you up. But now that Daniel's back, it's sending down Ben Paulson. We're letting you go. And I just stared. I said, "You've got to be kidding me. I, this is you've this has got to be a joke." And he said, "I'm sorry, no." And I just said, "Wow, I've been here for two weeks." Next up is Will Venable, former Padre, Cub, a longtime big leaguer, former Princeton grad, a uh, Princeton basketball player as well. Another great interview. Go check that one out. But Will talks about hitting free agency 
uh, towards the end of his career when he's just trying to find really one more one more good opportunity and also kind of learning how baseball is shifting in terms of what kinds of players it values. Here's Will Venable. You finish up that stint with Texas. You head into, you know, you get a first go at free agency. Uh, you don't sign until late February. What did, what was that experience like? Was there any was there any word to you that there wasn't going to be a 2016 season for you? I'm not worried that there wasn't going to be a season, but but it uh, it it was tough because uh, you know even though I hadn't played very well the last couple of years, um, kind of during my time as a as a young player, they were still giving out uh, guaranteed contracts to to guys that fit my profile. Uh, that could come in and be a, a clubhouse guy, play a little bit, help the young guys along. Um, there, we still we had those guys come through San Diego all the time, um, and so I thought that there still might be an opportunity for me to get a, um, a a really small but guaranteed deal, and um, that unfortunately was kind of the time where uh, you know they were figuring out that that maybe that wasn't such a good idea to give guys like me those kind of deals, which 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 is for for good reason um but so it, it was a stressful off season uh that was the year dexter fowler uh had wait waited really long time to sign he didn't get the deal he wanted and so kind of the culmination of kind of hanging on waiting every day talking to clubs who you know acknowledge that you might help them but they're not in a position to sign you um it, it was it was frustrating but you know at the end of the day uh i had an opportunity um in a great spot um, loved my time uh, in spring training with the Indians and was, ha- you know, really, really excited about the opportunity. Um, and they gave me every opportunity to succeed and, and do my thing. And it just uh, it just wasn't there for me and uh, obviously didn't work out. Um, but, yeah, the, the offseason going, it was, it, was a, it was a tough, tough uh, offseason. We're going to wrap with former big league all-star Yonder Alonzo uh, hitting free agency for the first time and just generally feeling very stressed out hoping that a team calls, uh, hoping it's a contender. Um, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a funny look at a guy who had a great career and, and latches on with a great team for him. What were you hoping to get out of free agency? Like when that season ended, what was kind of your, your dream scenario? A, a team, you know, a, <laughs> a job. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you, you, people think that like going to free agency, you know, you're going to have eight teams lined up and there are going to be just, you know, pleasing and asking you for for please to come to my team like that's just not how it works um because at that point you're 30 or 31 30 31 and i'm stressed out of my mind every day is a different phone call every day is you know i'm just freaking out you know like am i gonna have a job am i going to have to go to a, a team and have to do this all over again, which I had no problem with. I'm always going to bet on myself, but um, I had my son and I was like, just trying to make ends meet in, in the sense of like, what's going to my future look like. And luckily, you know, Cleveland came around and uh, we were able to get a deal done. Um, and yeah, it was my first time. Uh, it was a winning team and it was my first time uh, being in the postseason. 
And that is a wrap on our off-season clips. If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed some of these clips and haven't listened to the interview, go back, check them out. Everything on the feed is pretty evergreen. Uh, Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Episodes come out every other Tuesday. If you're enjoying the series and you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and a review. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com for all amateur baseball and prospect news. Uh, Top 10 prospect list rolling out. This crazy, crazy offseason. BA is breaking it down. Uh, The college pod is going. Future projection with Ben Badler and Carlos Colazzo is going. Always a good time to be subscribed to BA. We'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.